Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, one of the biggest shows on TV is finally coming back. We'll tee up season three of Ted Lasso. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. It's Oscar weekend. We'll take a look at what might happen Sunday night awards-wise. Plus, I can finally tell you about you. Season four, part two, has arrived on Netflix. But first, the Creed franchise has delivered another knockout. I watched Creed 3 this week. Adonis Creed. You don't remember me, huh? What happened with you two? We was like brothers. I got unfinished business. Gotta be talking about Dane. This how we gonna handle it now. You and me. Run it. Run it! Let go of whatever was and walk into what is. I'll see you in a minute. Don't worry, I'll be right back. The good news is Creed 3 is good, and the franchise now stands as a very solid trilogy. Overall, with the Rocky movies, it's now a series of nine films, and there's only been one real misfire, I think, in Rocky 5, and actually, that's not as bad as its reputation. Now, Creed 3 is not as good as the first Creed, but I think it is better than Creed 2, although these rankings often shift and change over time, so it's Kind of too soon to solidify anything there. But again, Creed 3, a good movie, worth a trip to the theater, as boxy movies tend to be. I went with a friend who doesn't go to the movies very often in theater, and he was quite impressed with the big screen experience, especially, uh, he said, the sound of the punches. Just one of the little things that we might take for granted about going to the movies if we go to a lot of them. Michael B. Jordan is back once again as Adonis Creed, son of Apollo Creed in the Rocky Cinematic Universe. Jordan also directs this movie his first time out at as director, and he's pretty good at it. The movie finds Creed retired from boxing. He runs the Delphi gym with Little Duke, the son of former Apollo and Rocky trainer Duke from those original movies. Always love that little detail. It often gets overlooked that there's another Duke in these movies. Um, they're really a family affair. So Creed's boxing days are over. He and Little Duke are busy managing the new heavyweight title holder, Felix Chavez. And Creed lives his life of luxury in the Hollywood Hills with his singer-slash-record producer wife, Bianca, played again by Tessa Thompson, and their daughter, Amara. His mom, played once again by Felicia Rashad, lives nearby. There are a couple of minor family-related B-plots, and oftentimes in sports movies, that really can feel like filler. But here it all seems to work together. It blends nicely with the main plot, which sees the return of a figure from Creed's past. It's his old friend Damien from when he was a teenager, played by Jonathan Majors. This guy went to jail for 20 years. He just got out and he wants to be a boxer. He was on track to be a world-class boxer before he went to jail, and he wants to pick it back up. Creed thinks he's crazy because he's much older now, but he says, hey, I'll help you if I can. And then we also get these fragmented flashbacks to uh, the incident from their teenage years that saw Damien get arrested and how Creed was part of it. And the flashbacks kind of reveal more and more each time they're shown as the movie goes along. Suffice to say, the two old friends eventually kind of have a beef and have to fight each other. Creed has to come out of retirement, and uh, Damien makes an improbable run for the title. I think maybe... Um, the way the story has to be twisted to get Damien into the ring for a professional fight, that kind of stretches credulity even for a boxing movie. But they do kind of get past it quickly enough that you sort of forget about it real fast. There's, of course, the training montage. 
can't have a boxing movie without a training montage. And it's a good one. But he said afterwards that during the montage, he was waiting for the uh, quote-unquote ridiculous thing to pop up, some bizarre way of training that looks like it's probably more trouble than it's worth. And sure enough, it popped up. You'll know it when you see it. It's a great montage. And of course, it's followed by a big fight. The fight scenes in the throughout the movie, are they're mostly done well. Jordan does try some new things. Which I mean, points for trying something new, but sometimes I think they're only partly successful. There's some slow motion, which I did like, and then some much more arty type things that were more distracting than impactful. But your mileage may vary on those. Jordan's on record as a an anime enthusiast, and he says his approach to some aspects of the fight scenes were influenced by that. Now they're not drawn or anything. It's not like there's cartoons in the middle of this movie. It's nothing like that. But it, there, there is a couple of things that are quite a bit different. You'll know them when you see them. Overall, though, I thought the fight scenes were terrific. My only real complaint about the movie is that it did feel like it could have used one more fight. Somewhere in the middle, I, I got to thinking, you know, it's been a while since the last boxing scene. Come on, let's go. Um, the performances, all great. I mean, that Jonathan Majors is impressive. I hope he gets to do a lot of different kinds of movies and isn't just mostly stuck in MCU mode for the next five years as uh, the bad guy, uh, Kane, and those. And Michael B. Jordan, uh, he's he, we knew he could act. Now we know he can direct. Not sure what his aspirations are, but there hasn't been much that he's done in front of and now behind the camera that has not been worth watching. Who knows if we'll get a fourth Creed movie. I sort of think they ought to stop while they're ahead, but if they go again, I'll be there for sure. A very strong three and a half couch cushions out of five for Creed three go see it and i will hopefully go see it soon i mentioned last week this could be the movie to get me back into a theater it's been a while since i've been to a movie and i was thinking about going on wednesday but i just felt super bloated and didn't want to eat popcorn <laughs> and then i thought well i could just go to the movie and not eat popcorn but then I'd be grumpy. So I, I just can't win. I can't win in that scenario. And ultimately, I ended up falling asleep and slept through the start time of the movie anyway. So I wouldn't have made it uh, to the show time that I was going to go for. But I'm hoping. If, if Adonis Creed can come out of retirement, Brett, you can go to the movies again. <laughs> I, I don't live that far from a movie. We got a landmark cinemas theater maybe 10 minutes from my place, so no excuses. I'm just lazy. And the, the longer I wait to go see these movies, because I still kind of want to see Avatar, I got to see Ant-Man, now Creed 3, and we've got four movies out this weekend, and one of them in particular is one that I want to see because I just recently saw the fifth installment. It's a big sequel, Scream 6. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? It never works out. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. <laughs> I'm something different. That's why I'm going to shoot you in the head. The setting shifts from small town USA to the Big Apple with the tagline, New York, New Rules, following the brutal events from Scream 5, which, by the way, if you want to watch that, you can watch it on Paramount Plus, and it's actually really good, and it's surprisingly, like, they've, they, it's much more violent than the previous ones. Like, of course, they've all, they're all violent. They, there's a guy with a knife going around stabbing people, but... The violence is a lot more visceral in Scream 5, and my understanding is that it's way more violent in Scream 6. So the same cast 
From Scream 5 Returns, having left Woodsboro for a new chapter in New York. You also heard the voice of Courtney Cox in there. She's back. And Hayden Penetier, who was in Scream 4, is in this one as well. So they moved to New York. Unfortunately, the past has followed them, and they are being hunted by Ghostface again. Another Ghostface. And this one appears to know everything about all the past killings. There's something mysterious going on there, so I'm really curious about that mystery. I'm curious about the big city setting. It's getting decent reviews, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, of course, for the advertising, they cherry-picked some good ones, like saying it's the best scream yet, or it's the perfect horror movie, etc. But either way, it looks fun, and I am pumped to see this one. Also new this weekend, from the creators of A Quiet Place, Adam Driver and some kid star in 65. We've crash-landed on an uncharted planet. From the writers of A Quiet Place. There's something up there. 65 million years ago. Run! Humans discovered Earth. 65, exclusively in movie theaters, March 10. Set in the future, they're on a ship in space carrying 35 passengers. The ship goes down, but it goes down... On Earth, 65 million years ago. So Driver and the kid have to survive dinosaurs. Interesting premise, and it's only 93 minutes long. So I kind of dig that. Like, Jeff, I don't know if you knew this, but apparently the new John Wick Chapter 4 that comes out later this month is 2 hours and 49 minutes. Good Lord, that's... (laughs) (laughs) That is distressing. Yeah. John Wick, those are like one-note movies, and that that's just way too long. Even I watched one that was two hours and ten minutes, so John Wick 3 it must have been, and even that, I was like, you could have shaved half an hour out of this. Yeah, yeah. apparently the early reviews say it's good, but it's exhausting. So I guess we'll yeah. find out on March 26th or whatever the, the date yep. is on that, March 24th, pardon me. Um, Woody Harrelson stars in a basketball comedy this weekend called Champions. <laughs> You can get this team to the Special Olympics Finals. You might be ready to be back in the NBA. We've been following your incredible story, Coach. Marcus is just one win away from qualifying for the regional tournament. I don't know if you're brave or crazy. Give me a hug, Coach! I know this is your shot at being champions. Shot in Winnipeg, by the way. The couch potatoes are in Winnipeg, so of course we had to mention that. Lol. Uh, So Harrison plays... uh, former minor league basketball coach who gets into some trouble with the law and is ordered by the court to coach a team of players with intellectual disabilities. Of course, he has his doubts at first, but soon realizes he's got a good team full of good people who enrich his life, etc., etc. It's getting okay reviews. And finally, we have an animated adventure called Mummies. Egypt, a land of mystery, intrigue, and rich history. A doorway of sorts to afterlife. A world of mummies under the earth. A royal wedding ring. It's the man. The man who took the ring. The only way to get it back is to go to the world of the living. So in Mummies, we learn of a secret underground city where three mummies live. The city's hidden in ancient Egypt, but now they have to make their way to the land of the living to retrieve a wedding ring that was taken from them. Looks fun. It's getting okay reviews. So lots to pick from this weekend. And in a moment, we got to tell you about something huge coming to Apple TV Plus on Wednesday. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and one of the most anticipated seasons of television in quite some time is finally debuting on Wednesday, March 15th. Well, 
If seeing is believing, I believe we've been seen. That is the theme song for Ted Lasso. And those lyrics are apropos. Yeah, that might be all that you get. Well, more on that in a moment. Season two wrapped up on October 8th of 2021. Season three is finally here. And if you're not familiar with Ted Lasso, the Screen Junkies guys can sum it up in their honest trailer on YouTube. You slept through the morning show. You didn't see, see. And you haven't bothered to start your mythic quest. I hear it's good though. But since your iPhone crapped out on you, and every new one comes with a free year of Apple TV+, Plus, you might as well check out Ted Lasso. Prepare for a show that feels like it was based on a dad joke about the two types of football, but was actually based on a series of NBC Sports commercials. How many countries are in this country? Four. But unlike the Geico Caveman show that, yes, really happened. You have a dab a do. Seriously, don't, don't do that. This show overcame impossible odds to actually be really good. It's at least as unlikely as Leicester City winning the Premier League in 16. I just got asked to be the head coach at Lochester. Whoa. And there you have it. So this started off as a commercial for soccer on NBC, and it's become a full-blown television show about an American football coach who gets hired to coach a soccer team in England, AFC Richmond. And as silly as that premise is, considering he doesn't know the game, this show works, and it works brilliantly. It was my favorite show of 2021. It won Best Comedy at the Emmys for both its seasons, and it's just one of the best feel-good shows maybe ever. And you don't need to know anything about soccer to enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it's a soccer show, but that's just a vehicle used to tell a great story about all these people and the difficulties they are dealing with, especially Ted Lasso, who is cheery and optimistic and encouraging to everyone else but himself. Um, just, and I'll keep this relatively spoiler-free in case you want to watch those first two seasons before Wednesday. But this season looks to have a big showdown after there was a falling out with one of the team's coaches and he left for another team. That character went from being a really nice guy to really mean. It was a solid heel turn. Now, we mentioned those song lyrics. Yeah, that might be all that you get. Yeah, this might just be it. Is this the final season? No official confirmation on that. Here's what Jason Sudeikis said to Extra. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, tonight for me is all about celebrating that which we are almost finished completing being season three. So it's tough to talk about season four when we're going to watch episodes one and two of season three. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, that's like you know being on a date with someone you really, really like, <laughs> but really looking forward to that date with that next person. Right. That's mean. That's not a good, you know, you're not being a good date if you're doing that. So I can't do that. I can't do that out of, out of respect to everything that we did uh, and, and, and not all the hard work that we dumped into this season. I can't, I can't be thinking about one that's not even, not even real yet. This one's real. I've seen it. It's good. There's also talk of potential spin-offs rather than a new season of Ted Lasso. So on that front, maybe we can get one on Roy Kent, the grumpiest character on the show, who is somehow also one of its most lovable. Let's go get these. Roy Kent is an angry man. He's played by Brett Goldstein, who is also a writer on the show. And here's what he had to say to Stephen Colbert. I can this say this. Yes. I would happily play Roy Kent forever. And I would be very sad. Yeah. I'd be... Spin-off? Spin I'd, be I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be very sad to, to say goodbye. 
Goldstein, by the way, also co-created and wrote one of Apple's other new series, Shrinking, which stars Harrison Ford and Jason Segel. Now, the idea of a Ted Lasso spinoff, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could work because the show has so many great characters. But Ted is the MVP. If we only get three seasons, that's okay. The show's been just wonderful so far. And I believe, I believe, season three will nail it. Great job. Oh, Rock can't just said great job. You excited, Jeff? Have you watched this yet? Even? I have not seen... I've not seen the first two yet, so I'm excited to one day catch up on uh, the Ted Lasso, but I'm not there yet. Uh, those guys mentioned in the honest trailer thing about how you get to buy an iPhone and get a free subscription to Apple TV Plus, which is what happened to me, except I didn't cash in that free subscription because I just know it's a thing where you still have to give them your credit card, and then if you forget to cancel it, they'll charge you. Bah 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 bah. <laughs> That's I'm too dumb to remember to cancel it after the free trial. Yeah, that actually well, happened with me it. with Paramount Plus. I was, um, I thought, I had this panic like a week and a half after thinking, oh man, did I forget to cancel this? And turns out I'd already done it. I just forgot. <laughs> I had actually re- remembered to cancel <laughs> my free trial because there's just not enough stuff on Paramount Plus yet for me. But Ted yeah, Lasso yeah. back on March 15th on Apple TV+. Plus. Let's talk Oscar predictions next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And this weekend is Oscar weekend. I finished my Oscar Best Picture nominee film festival this past week. I watched the 10th and final entry I had yet to see. A very clever, very odd movie called Triangle of Sadness. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. It's always, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Do you think it's possible to wash the sails? This is a motorized vessel, so we don't have any sails. What the world needs now hey, hey. is love, sweet. The ship is going under. This is really, really bad. Triangle of Sadness is a social satire focusing on what happens when the tables are turned on a bunch of ultra-rich people who are on a cruise. It's not a giant cruise ship like a carnival cruise ship or something like that. It's a big yacht, but a really big yacht, bigger than what you would have as a personal yacht if you were the sort of person who owned a yacht. The folks on board include a Russian oligarch, a weapons manufacturer, and some models. So they're supposed to be, I guess, the worst kinds of people is the point, but I mean, are models really that bad? One of them is, and one of them really isn't, which is maybe the point, uh, especially near the end of the movie. The movie actually starts with the two models. They're out for dinner somewhere in Europe, and they fight about the bill. Again, it's a social satire, so discussions about things um, like this have a larger implication about society in general. There's a ton of that stuff throughout the movie, but it also all works very well on a literal level pertaining to the plot of the movie. After 15 minutes of the arguing models, uh, we we find ourselves on this boat meeting the other clients and the crew. The captain of the boat is played by Woody Harrelson, who is a, a drunk throughout. He's also a Marxist, and as he gets drunk with the Russian businessmen, they go back and forth, quoting communist and capitalist things at each other and soon to everyone. The main scene that people talk about after seeing this movie involves some choppy water, some bad oysters, and seasickness. There's nothing like barfing to bring the high and mighty down to our level. It's pretty gross, but it's also pretty funny at times. And then there's the third part of the movie, which I won't even get into, but suffice to say, the Richie Riches on the boat suddenly find themselves entirely reliant on a crew member who enjoys the power she now has over them. It's pretty wild stuff at times. A very clever script, which is one of the three Oscar nominations it's received, along with Best Director for Ruben Osland and Best Picture. 
And I'd say this more than any of the other movies up for Best Picture uh, will probably just have to be happy with being nominated. I don't think it's won any awards during the award season, but it is definitely worth a watch if you can handle some very dark comedy. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Triangle of Sadness. And as we've been talking about, the Oscars do go this weekend, and I still think it looks like everything, everywhere, all at once is the front runner for Best Picture. Mom, just wait. No time to wait. Very busy. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. If you can imagine it, somewhere out there, it exists. There's no going back. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. Everything Everywhere All at Once has won the most awards throughout award season and leads the Oscar field with 11 nominations. The Best Actress race is suddenly maybe the most interesting with uh, Michelle Yeoh from Everywhere Everywhere having won the SAG Award last week and Kate Blanchett has won several other awards for the movie Tar, so it seems to be the two of them up for Best Actress at the Oscars could go either way. Win-win uh, as far as I'm concerned. I really like Tar. I would vote for Blanchett, but I also really like Michelle Yeoh and her winning her first Oscar is probably more exciting than Kate Blanchett winning her third. Everywhere, every, Everything Everywhere All at Once should also win Best Supporting Actor for Kihi Kwan, who's pretty much run the table in that category at all the award shows. He would be the lock of the night and the biggest upset if he doesn't win. Best Supporting Actress, I sort of think Jamie Lee Curtis will win that also for the same movie. Uh, it'd be you know good for them to award a legit movie star an Oscar on Oscar night. That doesn't happen every year. And nobody doesn't like Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, come on, how great would that be to see her win some her win an Oscar. Uh, best Actor, that's a toss-up between Austin Butler and Elvis and Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Kind of hoping for Fraser in that one, although Austin Butler, uh, the movie Elvis is not as good as The Whale, I don't think, but he does a really good job portraying Elvis, so much so that by the end of the movie, you really think of him as Elvis, and then when they show real Elvis, you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's what Elvis looks like. He doesn't look like Austin Butler, really. Um, so that's I don't know if that's just good acting or good makeup or what, but uh, seems to have worked for him so far. The Oscars have been pretty good the last few years of spreading the well, so to speak. A lot of movies winning one or two awards without one movie dominating. And it sort of feels that beyond everything, everywhere, all at once, that could be the case this year. I can see Steven Spielberg winning Best Director, but The Fableman's not winning Best Picture, even though the two awards often go hand in hand. I hope The Banshees of Inishirin win something. If it does, it'll probably be a screenplay award. But there's another movie I'm pulling for in the screen writing category, a movie that is bound to win a bunch of technical awards, and that, of course, is our beloved Top Gun Maverick. Take a look at this. The man, the legend. This is going to take you and your aircraft to the breaking point. What the hell? Make us proud. My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. Oh my god, here they come! Those are your pilots. If anything happens to them, you'll never forgive yourself. Harry Hour. Top Gun Maverick. Rated PG-13. The Tom Cruise Save the Movies narrative has been pretty strong since the movie came out last year and made a whole lot of money, a lot more than anyone was expecting. So it'll be interesting to see how the Academy rewards Top Gun. It is up for Best Picture, and while probably not a lot of Oscar voters will put it at the top of their ballot, it is decided on a preferential ballot, meaning if five movies kind of split the votes for number one, but everyone 
puts Top Gun as their number two, then Top Gun would win. So that's not too far-fetched to see that thing walking home with the big prize on Sunday night. Frankly, of all the Best Picture nominees, while Everything Everywhere All at Once is probably going to win, I wouldn't be surprised, really, to see The Fablemans or Tar, Elvis, All Quiet on the Western Front, or Top Gun Maverick win. Not saying those are my favorite movies, but I think they actually all have a shot at it. It'd be a good Oscars for uh, something a little surprising to happen. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin, The Triangle of Sadness, Avatar and Women Talking. I like most of those movies, but I would be very shocked if either of them won, simply because they haven't really won anything any other major awards this year. Um, my favorite movie of the 10, I think, is Tar. That's what I'd vote for. I'd probably put Top Gun at number two, and we'll find out this Sunday what's going to win. Brett, you got any Oscar thoughts? Not really. <laughs> I haven't, I've only seen Top Gun Maverick. Oh, I, pardon me, and I did see everything everywhere all at once. Uh, I'm really curious about this triangle of sadness, though. Where did you watch it? Oh, you got to rent that one. So it's out of theaters, but not on streaming anywhere, at least not that I could find a these things change on a weekly basis so maybe by the time you're listening to this it is streaming somewhere but uh, otherwise you can just kind of rent it wherever you rent movies yeah and that whole uh knocking down rich people seem to be um uh, a theme this year in terms of movies like there is that other movie with uh, ray finds the menu which was uh, yes. kind of similar to that and there was oh shoot i can't remember it off the top of my head but there have been a couple of other things along those lines this year. And so, yeah, when I heard the title, I just, I guess I judged the book by its cover. I heard the title and thought, that's just what I, re that's, that's what I need. This is one of the reasons why I don't end up watching these Oscar movies often because I just <laughs> want something fun. And if it sounded like a declaration, like this is no. a sad Oscar movie, but uh, what not. you described sounds actually really fun. So it I is fun. It's entertaining triangle of sadness the the term is it's a a term in modeling that we find out in the first scene and never hear it again so i don't i honestly it's kind of weird that they named the title they, they titled the movie that although i guess if you think about it in some ways it works but yeah it's there's not a literal triangle of sadness there isn't even a whole lot of people crying in this movie yeah and i'll be curious to see you mentioned the technical awards so i wonder if it'll be top gun maverick cleaning up in that or what about avatar because that uh, that one, of course, is a technical masterpiece by all accounts. Yeah, I, I almost wonder, though, that the, the insane onslaught of CGI might hurt the Avatar a little bit because it's, well, and I'd have to go back and look. I assume that Avatar 1 cleaned up on all those awards back in 2009, so maybe it doesn't need to have them all again. And uh, I think I think the love of the Top Gun will carry that through. Yeah, and just the fact that they, they were able to gain so much of that footage for real is remarkable yeah. and uh it was it was really it was a breakthrough it was just like james cameron whenever he does a movie he always invents some new technology well they invented technology to allow them to shoot those scenes in those planes um so that could be the the difference maker here um especially as you pointed out since it's not all cg and mostly practical up next we got to tell you about a show that I started to review a month ago, but I could only review the first half. Now I can tell you about the second half, which is out now on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I have been sitting on this for a month, and now I can finally tell you about Season 4, Part 2 of You. What do you want? Isn't it obvious? I want a friend. 
Someone who shares my interests. Someone I can finally tell all my secrets to. I care about you, Joe. I walk along the city streets you used to walk along with me. This is over, right? Over. <laughs> but one last thing. The biggest and greatest. Forget you. No, you don't get to tell me who I am. I am not some cold-blooded psycho. Mm, you sure about that? To recap, Joe Goldberg is a hopeless romantic who also happens to be kind of psycho. He stalks people, he kidnaps people, and kills people, but he thinks he's doing it all for love. And what's weird about this show is you like him. From the man himself who plays Joe, Penn Badgley, he says you're supposed to fall in love with him. And that's why it's so much fun because you end up having all these weird conflicting emotions where you know he's a bad guy and yet you kind of root for him. The first season was great. Seasons two and three were both good, but they became increasingly goofy. And I would suggest maybe even a little stale. So I was happy with season four for moving him to a different location, like not just a new location because he moves around a bit in the first three seasons, but a new kind of location. He's left the U.S., he's now in London, so the look and feel of the show is totally different. And the first five episodes play out as a whodunit. So that was a nice twist on the show's usual format because it added this fun mystery component. So it felt fresh and inventive, and I had a great time. And in the second half... Well, that's where we really get to see the Joe that we know and love slash hate slash hate to love slash love to hate. But again, it's done kind of differently. There's a new element to his madness, courtesy of a charismatic new character. And overall, I thought it led to a satisfying conclusion to close the season. The main complaint I've got with this show, I guess, is like, how does this guy never get caught? There are times when there's no way... He would escape what he's done, but it's his show, so if he gets caught, the show is over. And it's kind of part of the fun, too, I guess, like part of what makes him increasingly dangerous because he probably thinks his actions have no consequences, that he can get away with whatever he wants. So anyway, super fun. I enjoyed the season mightily, and it might be my favorite season yet. Four couch cushions out of five for season four of you on Netflix. By the way, it's at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. While the people behind the show say they're excited to continue to tell more stories, like if it gets renewed for a fifth season, nothing official yet on that front, but I don't see why they wouldn't come back for one more season. They certainly left the door open for it at the end, but I think they would have to declare season five the final season. Like There's only so much you can do with this character, and while they've managed to keep it mostly fresh, and they did find some new creative energy for season four, I think that energy is going to run out. But in the meantime, I recommend you. It's been one of my favorite shows of the last few years. Penn Badgley just does fantastic work as this character, just perfectly cast as uh, Joe Goldberg in you. In the meantime, Braun, I understand you've caught up in one of your old faves. Oh, just hit that clip. We know what it is. <laughs> Little Magnum P.I. action. Season 5 of the new rebooted Magnum P.I. that began uh, five seasons ago. Uh, just started airing its newest season on, in February last month. 
and on CBS. And I only realized it this past week. I turned on, what did I turn my PVR on for to watch a Survivor or something like that? And I was like, oh my God, I've got four episodes of Magnum PI backed up. I didn't even, I didn't know the season had started. I knew it had been pushed back from last fall to this winter, but I forgot about it and I lost track of it. Now I've got just a pile of Magnum PI to go through. uh, And I'm excited about that. I I talk about this every time we talk about Survivor and the rule stands for Magnum PI. One of the big draws of the show for me is simply the fact that they shoot it in Hawaii and it looks terrific. It's island weather. There's beaches and oceans and people swimming and it just looks warm and it just, uh, it'll get me through the rest uh, until the snow melts up here, you know? So what are you going to do? And, and it's, it's always nice to have, um, especially, you know, CBS does, it's their bread and butter. These police procedural shows where yes, you, you can just, you, you know how it's going to go. It's entertaining enough, but you don't have to, really furrow your brow and put a lot of thought into it. They just, after every commercial, they recap everything. It's it's kind of, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's dumb, but it's, you know, you can play on your phone while you're watching Magnum PI. It's awesome. So I like it like that. And they got a good cast and a good crew. And the show looks great. And there's some good chemistry between the actors, which is always fun. And, uh, and I get to feel smart because I can always figure out who the bad guy is before they uh, are revealed as the bad guy because it's almost always the first guy they go to interview and then right off and go on to somebody else. It's like, oh, that guy will come back at the end. He's going to be the bad guy. And he is. So there you go. Magnum PI, always fun. Uh, this week's Survivor, by the way, was fantastic. So if you're not watching yet, only two episodes in, you can get caught up through the Global TV app or you can order it on demand or you can find it on Stack TV. But uh, yeah, the season 44 of Survivor, so far so good. They got a couple of the most fun characters I think the show's maybe ever had. Jam Jam and Carolyn are proving to be wacky, but not like in your face obnoxious. So I like that. And uh, the second episode of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus was fantastic this week. Might be my favorite of the show yet. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.